The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm so tired of learning new things. I hate learning. <laughs> it's bad. It's stupid. Why have I done all this just to learn how to do a separate thing? I don't like it. I don't like it. Oh, somebody somebody marked that. Someone marked that right there. Amber Ruffin, I hate learning. You hate uh, learning. I truly do. Any teacher I've had will tell you she hates it. <laughs> Hi, my name is Amber Ruffin. I'm in your ears, but if I was in your house with you, I'd give you a little pinch. Hi, friends, and happy Tuesday, or whatever day you're listening to this episode that was released on a Tuesday. Welcome back. This is Off the Beat, and I am Brian Baumgartner, and my guest today is the wonderful Amber Ruffin. Now, Amber is a late night legend. Okay. She has worked on late night with Seth Meyers since his very first episode back in 2014, but that's not all that Amber has done. She does improv. She worked with improv Olympic and second city sketches on her own. The Amber Ruffin show to uh, appearing in multiple hit series like Girls 5 Eva. And if that's not enough, she is also a New York Times bestselling author with her sister. You'll never believe what happened to Lacey, crazy stories about racism. And now she's even stepping into the world of Broadway. Amber may hate learning, like you just heard, but I really loved learning about her and her story. 
her career in improv, her career at late night, her lifelong dedication to avoiding things like numbers and education. <laughs> I mean, we all know I can relate to that. Listen closely, everybody. You might just learn something, and that is a threat. Here is my new friend, Amber Ruffin. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Hi, Amber. Brad, you're real. I'm I'm a real person. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty nice. I just had some cashews and raisins because I'm 100 years old. Cashews and raisins. Yeah, I'm either 100 or five. That's how I eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the the canned variety, so it's very fresh. I yeah. insist. <laughs> insist on the canned variety of cashews yeah. and raisins that's right are they like raw cashews or do they have a little salt on them they have to have salt on them all right good although i guess some people just be eating flavorless nuts flavorless. and that's fine like a squirrel like a squirrel yeah exactly where are you are you are you in which which side of the country are you on new york yeah yeah that's what i thought How's it going out there in New York? I mean, it's pretty strikey. It's very strikey in New York. Yes. It's probably also strikey over there. Yes, it is. <laughs> what are we at? Day day 15 of the no. writer's strike of 2023. Yes, we are. That's right. Day 15. Do you miss going to work? No, no one does. No, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I really do, though. We have a lot of fun at work, but we haven't been back to work physically in 29 years. Yeah, we haven't been back full force since before COVID. So you've st you've still been working at home. Yes, I've been. I mean, I've been doing various things, but at late night, at late night, we don't come in very wow. much at all. If you have a bit that's going, then you come in. But. I guess regular old writers, they're like, stay your goofy behinds at home. No one wants to be like a part of your silly bits or, uh, you know, TikTok videos. Keep that at home. I'm like, that's fair. Well, do you think that that is that the future? Yeah. You think it's our it is. future. They're happier than they've ever been because we're not bothering them. Because like, you're not around? No one's making like a crock pot of queso, <laughs> like having races down the hallway. I, I I do think they love not having us and I'm not doing a bit. I think they love not having to deal with our mess. Do you think that it hurts the collaborative creative process? No. No. I mean, the way we, well, I guess some of us do write more collaboratively, but the way I write and Jenny and Lutz and stuff is we write a script and then I email you the script and then you take a pass at it. You email it back. That's how I've always written. Okay. So this doesn't really bother me, but I miss being bad. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, all right. Let's go. Let's go backwards in time. You grew up. 
was very surprised to hear that you grew up in Nebraska, yeah. Omaha, Nebraska, the youngest of five, by the way, I should also mention. Yep. How was early life in Nebraska for you? Um, Very, very outdoors. Okay. <laughs> like I, I, I see these children here in New York and they are indoor children and they are very like aware of their surroundings in a way that I never had. Like you can tell when you're walking down the street because we work, you know, at 30 Rock. So there's a ton of tourists and you can tell who's from the Midwest, especially the children, because they're just everywhere and they're under your feet and they're in your way. And they can't think of like a consequence for that. (laughs) And they also just don't have the spatial awareness that you need to live in a tiny city filled with a billion people. Right. I had a dream for a while. I have young kids. And I had a dream for a while of, I don't think I could do New York permanently, but to bring them there for a year. Because that gift that you're talking, which I do think it is a gift of understanding your environment and and moving through people and being sort of aware of your uh, of the environment and your circumstances and all of that would be like a great learning tool. Do you think so? Or do you think the fact that they're stuck inside all the time kills whatever benefit that might give? You know, what kills whatever benefit that might give is when you see people who are in mental health crises all day and all night, every day, you have to walk past someone who's having the worst day of their lives um, without thinking of them or giving them any attention. And that I when I do see children, New York children, I think that can't be good for you. Right. It must kill whatever tiny bit of baby empathy you had. Right. Do you think growing up in Nebraska and being outdoors, did you play imagination games? I definitely was an imagination kid, but more than that, I was like running, climbing, and biting. Like like we were catching snakes and hooking them at one another, like catching bugs and mushing them. We're just the worst, the worst type of little boys (laughs) just into it. (laughs) Sticking your hand in the mud, seeing what's in there. Yeah. Being the youngest of five. Do you think that, how, how do you think that that affected you now? Being the youngest of five is why I'm bad. Okay. Because it was like, leave the baby alone. The baby wants to sing you a song. Give that to the baby. Did somebody <laughs> check on the baby? Oh, look at the And they just let me. And then that behavior got passed down to all my sisters. And my brother are always like, uh-huh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Even today, <laughs> I think they still act like that. But I can see it. I, I knew that that was happening. But then once they started having children, then I really was like, this is how you used to do me. You don't care (laughs) that this child drew this picture. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was just like severe encouragement all of the time. Right. Which I think creates a monster, but a fun monster. But a confident monster. Yeah. Good for you. Um, you were interested in snakes and mud and squishing bugs. 
when did you start to have an interest in either the creative arts or writing or performing? Was that something that came to you early on? Um, I guess I did the thing kids do where you like, you write a show and then you make the neighbors come to the show. Right. Like that. We did that. By the way, not, not everyone does that, but yes, I do oh. know what you mean. <laughs> I, know what you, I, I know what you mean. Yes. Those poor people. But, um, oh, so this is really how it happened. I was learning how to play the piano at 12 from the minister of music at church. Okay. But then she cheated on her husband and then she was not allowed to play the piano anymore. I think that's what happened. Wait, that was the punish. That was the punishment. It seems like there should be a different punishment, but (laughs) she couldn't be an official, uh, an efficient at the church. She couldn't come to church. She couldn't be in the pulpit because she was doing dirt. Okay. That was the rumor. Who knows what's true. Okay. But, uh, she had taught me exactly one song. And so I played it that Sunday by myself because I had to, and this was not the plan. And then she didn't come back to rehearsal for choir rehearsal. And so then I would just show up at every choir rehearsal and I would figure out how to play something for them for Sunday. And I just figured out how to play the piano. I can't today because it was math and not like a talent that I have, but I just figured it out. And every week I figured it out and it was fine. And it also gave me insane confidence because I was like, I have no, there are a million people ahead of me in line for what I'm doing. I know I should be the last person you pick, but I figured it out. You can figure it out. So this is really your first experience in front of an audience and in your brain and your confident young fifth child brain, this made you a star. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a star. I'm great. I can do it. But more than that, I'm like, they trusted me to do this thing that an adult should be doing. Right. I was like, all right, if it's up to me, I'll figure it out. What about writing? I don't know. Writing was never a part of it. Never. Never. And that's the main thing. Now, I think when you start improvising, all improvisers are writers, really, because you're all writing down the sketches and stuff. But writing wasn't a part of it at all. I just thought, I just didn't think of sketch writing as a job and certainly not a job that could lead to other jobs. Right. (laughs) Uh, But I was wrong. You eventually, you, you joined a theater group in Omaha. You wanted to perform. Um, and this brought you to Chicago for a gig, right? So tell me about that important trip and, and, and the aftermath of that. In Omaha, we started an improv group, and it was very, very fun. And then we decided to go visit Chicago for Chicago Improv Festival. Because that, you know, back then, that was basically the only place there was any type of improv where you could make a living at it. Right. So then I moved to Chicago, or we go to that improv festival and a lady named Sharna Halpern who used to run IO, which was a big famous improv theater. She, Olympic, yeah. yeah. She um, told me that if I moved there, I would have a full-time job within a year. So I moved there. She let me intern at IO and uh, 
it took six months and I got hired at Boom Chicago, which is a theater in Amsterdam. And that was a full time. So I was almost instantly, the second I was out of classes, I got called up to do Boom Chicago and was doing full time. Comedy was my full time job ever since. Boom Chicago is an improv group that is in Amsterdam, which is very confused, makes the name very so confusing. confusing. Yeah. Um, t- talk to me a little bit about this group and, and its importance, well, for you. Boom Chicago is a theater in Amsterdam where we write our shows. We write all our reviews. It's just like Second City, except it's way more improvised. Okay. Like we probably have a written opening, a couple of sketches throughout, but then the rest is just improv games. And it's really, really nice because you have to just figure it out. Just like being the minister of music when you're a kid, you can't completely prepare for it. Like there is no way to prepare for doing a show for 300 people for whom English is their second language. Right. And if you've never you know, done short form improv. And I hadn't really, but I, you know, could really improvise songs very well. So then that I think is what got me the job. But um, it was so formative because you're making money at comedy for the first time. And like, there are all these famous alums and you really feel like, oh, I'm doing it. And, uh, At Boom Chicago, you can do whatever you want. Like if halfway through the show, you were like, let's stop doing the show and do a different thing. And you just put on a different thing. That would be allowed if the audience had a great time. You could, in order for, for the audience to have a great time, you can do literally anything. Like one day when I knew that we were, not going to be supervised very heavily. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> let's just pick a running order and do whatever we want. We did whatever we wanted. The audience had a great time. We were just like calling audibles and like filling time until the show was over. It, it was the best, but that's how Boom Chicago is. And then you, in addition to that, you do um, corporate gigs, tons of corporate gigs. You're doing a gig in like, in like a like a like an amusement park or in the window of a shopping center or like at in the, Amsterdam at the United Nations. Yes, man, everywhere. We okay. went everywhere. We went to Malta, we went to Spain and stuff. We went to Chicago. I didn't go to Chicago, but they went to Chicago, but it was just every gig you could think of. That's what it was. And it was so once you're good at it your confidence is like, I, I'm probably a piece of shit. I'm so, I'm so confident. But after like 300 Germans boo you, you're fine. <laughs> fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> what, what do you think that style of improv with no rules, what, what did you take from that today? Or what did you learn from that? Or how, how did you, how did you mold that into, to who you are today? Because you have rules today. You, you work in network a lot. So I know for a fact that there are rules. But what did what did that experience give you? It really, uh, I mean, it taught me that 
there are rules, but are there? I mean, come on. <laughs> like it, it's really like, it's taught me that people ask for a certain thing, but what they want is the best thing they could have. Right. And sometimes, and this is the worst thing I could say. And sometimes you know best, like, you know best what you can right. deliver uh, crystal clear. You know that. And you know what they're asking for. There might be a difference there. Right. So just do the thing you like. Do the thing you like. Stop doing the thing people think they want. They'll know what they want. Yeah, that's interesting. And I I see that in your work because it is surprising. Uh, particularly late night, there's a structure right? I mean, even if you erase everything else and you say there's a commercial break every seven and a half minutes or whatever it is, right? Like there's, you're, you're set within a structure, but I find that you, at least what I have seen as a performer, that you're, you're constantly surprising. And those seven and a half minutes can be wild and disparate in a way that is, not necessarily breaking the rules, but is different, but potentially that work at Boom Chicago and then having the discipline now to put it within, if not rules, at least within a given structure. I think that's a great, that's a great gift. Yay. I think so too. <laughs> we do like, like at the Amber Effin show, we would just be like, what do we feel like doing? And right. We would do exactly whatever we felt like doing. And it was fine. That was the big surprise is people like it when you're having a fun time. I would not have guessed that. I mean, certainly not to that extent, but goodness, people watch you uh, smile about a picture of a pony for 10 minutes. They just love that you're having fun. Right. And it, it's so much more severe. People like people so much more. I'm taking off my earrings because I'm going to fight you. Um, people, <laughs> uh, no, they're probably me. But people like people so bad. People love people. They love looking at them. They love listening to them. They love whatever weird things they love. And that I'm always reminded of that whenever I end up in the middle of some documentary of like, what was the one? The Pez guy, the Pez documentary. I'm like, okay. this guy loves this. And then it makes you love it. <laughs> I don't love Pez. I don't care about Pez. And I think Pez tastes bad. How about that? <laughs> I know. That's really true. That's so <laughs> true. I I think about that one. What was it? The 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 Donkey Kong one? Did you Sir, see that? I wrote a musical about it. Oh, you did! I wrote a wow. two-man musical. See, there's about- my there's that's bad research by me. But anyway, go ahead, go no, ahead. I wrote. Um, you'd be the only person who knew about it. Um, I wrote a two-man musical with my very good friend Lauren Van Curen and our musical director David Schwell. and it was directed by Brendan Hunt, who's Coach Beard on Ted Lasso now. Yeah, and we um had the <laughs> dumbest. It was just like the two of us, and it was a quick change. <laughs> musical about the best in my opinion the best documentary of all time which is king of kong king of kong quarters it's the best it's the best documentary and if you haven't seen it you should no you should definitely see it and to your point you'll start being like god i didn't appreciate donkey kong enough like to your yeah that's your yeah you're like doesn't make any sense i need to go buy a donkey kong machine (laughs) so that i can start playing 
this game that I've never really had any desire to play before. No, yeah. You've never given it a single thought, but then they love it so bad. Their love for it is catchy. It, it's insane. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zinn Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zinn create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zinn is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zinn is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zinn won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zinn. Find your Zinn online or in a store near you at zincom find. That's ZYN.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What brought you to leave Boom Chicago and come back to the United States? Mm, Well, I was at Boom Chicago for two years. Then I left to do Second City. And back then I called them on the phone and said, will you give me a job? Now they gave me a job because I just so happened to slum dog millionaire it. They didn't know me at Second City. I did IO while I was living in Chicago. Right. But one night I just so happened to show up there because if you're an improviser, they'll let you do the set with them. Well, the night I showed up was the same night. Um, Martin Short showed up. Okay. So I was like, oh, they're not going to let me do the set. But he didn't want to do the set. So then they let me do the set. And then the three suggestions were like a spark plug, which I just so happened to know how to change. 
sign language, which I just so happened to speak, and gymnastics. And I used to be a gymnastics coach. And I was like, I must seem like a fucking genius to these people. <laughs> it was it was the slumdog millionaireist thing that has ever happened. I was like, oh, well, great. Crazy. So then when I called them, I was like, I want a job. They were like, okay. <laughs> because because Martin Short was there, all the people who make decisions were there. So then right. they all knew I was the lady who did the thing that one time. Yeah. To be able to do those three things is pretty crazy. What are the odds? I didn't know who. I didn't shout it out. I, it wasn't a plant. It was a plant. You had <laughs> you had you had bought all the tickets in the theater, and they were all your friends. They were like, "What are the weirdest skills that Amber has?" Oh yeah, here we go. Oh yeah. Uh, not weird. That's I don't even know why I said weird, but different, different yeah. skills. Um. Okay, so you came back to to start working with Second City. Yep. And then I did Second City Denver. We existed. And mm. Main Stage Chicago. And then from Main Stage Chicago, a lot of people go to LA, but Boom Chicago was so fun. So I went back to Boom Chicago for three years. You did. And I, it was the most fun I've ever had. Like Boom Chicago is very fun when you're bad at it. And I was bad at it for so long. I was bad at it for, I'd say like a year. But um. Then when you're good at it and you're all old and stuff, oh my God, it was the best old. I was a child, but it was the funnest time. It was the funnest time I ever had. And for that, that time I chose fun over maybe what I should have done. And I was a thousand percent right. thousand percent. Most fun I ever had. Then after that, I moved to LA to try to make it. As an actor. Yeah. Yeah. That was a mess. But then I got late night sets, so wasn't all bad. Wait, why, why was that? Why was that a mess? Why was being in LA trying to be an actor a mess? LA is tough, and we were poor. It was bad. It, being poor is fine. I'm great at it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but being poor—that's funny. Place. I'm bad at it. I'm really bad. I'm bad at it. I'm pretty good at it. Really? Like, I love, yeah. I could be on that show, Extreme Couponing. <laughs> I plan it out. <laughs> well, it's fun- like, it's funny. And partly why I say that is because I, when I left college, we're going to talk about me for a second. Like, yeah, yeah. I knew enough about myself. I was, like, moving to New York and the idea of the, like, sleeping on sofas and stuff, that was not going to work for me. And so, I mean, not dissimilar to Chicago, but I ended up in Minneapolis where, you know, they actually pay you to do work in the theater. Not great, but you're getting something as opposed to to nothing most of the time in New York. But I think that that early on can be a really important gift to be good at being poor. Is this true or am I making it up? Minneapolis has the most theater seats per capita than any other city in the U.S.? True, except New York. But I- yes, true. That is a very, that's a writer stat there. That's something, <laughs> that's something that is true. But I can't tell you how many people I have said that exact, exact phrase ex- and then except New York to, and they go, really? Mini, mini what? <laughs> really? But yeah, but you moved to LA. What was your experience 
like that. You were you were just auditioning. You were on the audition train. Ugh. I moved there with my husband in two thousand eight. Eight. Okay. Did I make that up? Oh wait, no, eleven. Okay. Two thousand eight is when I went back to Boone. We left in two thousand eleven. Now we're in LA, and it was uh, it was very very bad. Like okay. I was a nanny. Okay. As a nanny for the most beautiful little baby, and every once in a while I'll see him whenever I'm over there, and he's like eight now, and he can talk, and I'll be like, "Hi, Amber," I blah 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 blah, and then my tears well up in my eyes because I used to hold him and be like. Are you ever going to talk to me, my perfect little baby? So I was a nanny. And I tried to right. make it seem bad, but it was actually a dream, my perfect boy. Um, but before I got that job, I was a nanny for just the worst children on planet Earth. Yeah. God bless it. Oh, just <laughs> horrible children. I just didn't know. I will say I grew up spoiled siblings wise because it was mostly girls and one big brother. But everyone was just so nice and you didn't like yell or hit like we didn't do that. Right. So to watch these children just beat the tar out of each other every yeah. day, I'd be like, what is this? <laughs> Who does this? What's wrong with you that you're so angry? You're four. Nothing has happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, oof, we were scraping by. Did you go to Improv Olympic? Like, were you performing there at all? Because of you are, you are. Okay, yep. so you're doing I was that. Like, we have to live near IO because I have to perform. And then I was like, I have to start taking classes at UCB. And okay. At this point, I had been a literal professional improviser for a decade. <laughs> I was like, I guess I got to take UCB classes. <laughs> <laughs> I lived about 17 seconds from UCB. Yeah. Well, really? during that during that time that you were there. Yeah. Oh fun. And then you were auditioning for film and television. Is that that was what we were doing? I mean, yeah, but Yeah. Ugh, I was mostly just putting up my own shows. I fell in with this theater called Sacred Fools. And okay. it's like a writer's theater and you just write your own shows and stuff. And that's how I ended up with that King of Kong, the documentary, the okay. musical. And uh it was just the funnest place to be. But it was it's weird to be poor in a place you don't know. That's <laughs> less fun. To move to a new place and be poor is not fun. Okay. If I like had to move back to Chicago and be poor, I'd be like, okay, I can do it. Or Omaha, fine. Right. But Saskatchewan, we're going to have a bad time. Because <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> don't know. Do you don't know where yeah. to go. Right. Yeah. Um, you then wanted to audition for SNL. Yeah. Was that the dream at the time for you? I mean, sure. I just never considered it at all. Okay. But then once they were like, we're going to have auditions and we want you to come. I was like, it's mine. I have it. I got it. I'm already on. I'm on SNL already. <laughs> confidence. Yes. Oh, so confident. Yes. Do not know why I thought, I mean, you couldn't have told me any different because they had a big audition. They were like, we're looking for a black lady. And so okay. then I was on all these, in all these showcases, SNL showcases. It was like a million of them. And then finally got through to the audition audition. 
and it was four of us. Well, it was a bunch of us, and then only four of us survived. Okay. <laughs> and the four of us were LaKendra Tooks, who got hired as a writer on SNL. Leslie Jones, who got hired as a writer initially on SNL. And then Sashir Zameda, who got the acting job. And then me, who did not get <laughs> SNL. <laughs> so it was like I extra didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> like we're hiring we're hiring everyone but you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was bad. Are you able now or were you able then to say, well, this is just not my thing. My thing is coming or not? Was it just crushing? No, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I thought I was going to die and then I just I had to I was in rehearsals for King of Kong. Gosh, this is all King of, I uh, a show I never mentioned. I've now mentioned 14 times. Um, while I was in rehearsal for King of Kong, the, the call came and it's just me and my little girlfriend. And I go, oh my God, it's says it all. Oh my God, it's going to be, uh-huh, uh-huh. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to keep rehearsing. <laughs> the middle of rehearsal. The middle of it. Yeah, did man, you what a mess. did you did you pause rehearsal and say, everybody, come here, come here, come here. This is SNL. This is gather was, around, gather around. Here we just go. Just two of us. Put it on speaker. But I oh certainly did God. say, oh it's God. SNL. It, here it comes. Oh God! I was so sure I was going to get it. So sure, it's biggest shock. <laughs> so how then did you meet the folks at late night? This this came out of this audition process with SNL, correct? I think so. Yeah. Um, so I had an audition. Also, I thought my audition was great, but so was everybody else's. Like you didn't see other people's auditions, so no. right. But um, what am I saying? Oh, so Seth Myers was also at Boom Chicago. So I knew Seth, and Seth had seen me in shows at Got Boom it. Chicago when he hired me for late night. So it was. SNL calling to say no. Then three days later, I died and rose again. And then Seth <laughs> called and was like, will you be a writer on my show? Were you aware at the time that you were the first woman of color to be writing for a late night television show? Or did someone fill you in on that later? No, an article came out that said I was the first black woman to write for a network late night network. talk show network. i was like sorry i don't know that's a, i mean a that's a lot of qualifiers right? <laughs> so many qualifiers uh i'll take it that's okay we we need representation i'm happy to be it but dang um i don't know i cert i certainly didn't think that that was true and then even still i'm like is that true do <laughs> It's so funny to me. Um, I don't know. That's fascinating because obviously that does have an impact. Now, maybe, I mean, you're clearly saying not so much to you, but in terms of people who come after you, right? Do you feel like writers' rooms now are more diverse? 100%. Yeah. We're 100% more diverse. I think everyone got embarrassed Cause that's embarrassing, man. Right. And then a, a, a shift in 
social awareness happened. Right. And people were like, hmm, maybe everything we're delivering is through the white lens. Maybe we need a different vantage point. <laughs> so then I think things started to shift. And then the white stuff just didn't ring true anymore. And then right. I think everybody could see, oh, if that's how you talk about police violence, you sh- you probably shouldn't be the person we're asking, you know? Right. So I think it's a little bit of everything. Right. But yeah, rooms are way more diverse now than they used to be. It's so interesting to hear you say that. And I didn't think about it until you said there was a light that was shined and people got embarrassed. You know, I remember John Stewart winning again for his show, the Emmys, and they announced the people and he was on stage and kind of embarrassingly made a joke about the fact that everybody looked alike. And my memory was like, everyone was not just white, but Jewish white men that were standing on stage, but it was almost like realizing in the moment as I was sitting there, like, yeah, this is, uh, this is odd. Yeah. It, it, it just, when you said em- embarrassed, I wonder, and maybe it was that incident or something else where everyone's sort of like, Oh, wait a second. Why, why is this the way that it is? Yeah. I, I mean, I hope, I hope that it was, I don't have to hope. I know that it was the work that people did where it just is different. You, you can't help it. It's different. It's different when you ask the people involved to talk about it. You just get a different, fresh, fresher, better point of view. Yeah. You have moved on. I mean, not moved on, but you are working on so many different projects at the moment as well. Why are you still at late night? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, what is it? What is it about that job or your relationship with Seth or whatever it is? Why stay there? Yeah. Late night is everyone's favorite. You, you, we have probably the least turnover of any show. <laughs> like right. people love it there. And it's like, it's not like writing on a regular sitcom because you have job security that, you know, these people renew for years at a time. It's not just to the for the next 12 episodes so you'll never get as a television writer such job security does not exist so there's that but also it's so fun <laughs> it's so fun and it's good and i just like like i write a lot of sitcoms and like broadway now and books and i just want to also do the thing that i'm good at instead of learning new shit. I'm so tired of learning new things. I hate learning. (laughs) It's bad. It's stupid. Why have I done all this just to learn how to do a separate thing? I don't like it. I don't like it. Oh, somebody, somebody marked that. Someone marked that right there. Amber Ruffin. I hate learning. I hate Uh, learning. I truly do. Any teacher I've had will tell you she hates it. (laughs) 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zinn is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zinn won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zinn. Find your Zinn online or in a store near you at zinn.com find. That's zyn.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Do you consider yourself a writer or an actor, primarily? I consider myself a writer primarily, even though that wasn't even a part of it originally. Right. I also, I guess I just believed I couldn't. Okay. Because no one was asking me to, and everyone was asking literally everyone around me to write this and that. No one was ever asking me to write anything. So I thought, oh, well, at least I'm a good performer. It never occurred to me that I could write. Interesting. Mm -hmm. How do you decide how often and what segments that you come on late night and appear on camera for? Um, they'll schedule Amber says what's and jokes Seth can't tell, but like everything else is just, okay. if, it, if the spirit moves me, I'll be like, Hey, I wrote this. Can I do it or not? And sometimes they say no, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes they say yes. Now who's they, who's they? Seth Myers has the audacity to tell me no sometimes. Okay. Thank you for so giving Seth me a platform. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but sometimes it's really dumb. And he's like, no. <laughs> right. In June of 2020, after the George Floyd incident, Seth asked you every night for a week to share your stories of confrontations that you had had with police. How did this come about? Was this something that you asked to do or was this something that Seth thought you should do? When George Floyd was murdered, I wrote something for the next day and it was a sketch kind of. And then as the day went on, you knew that wasn't going to, you couldn't do that, that this was different. And then I wrote a rant, you know, which was just going to be me talking. And then that couldn't do because the murder of George Floyd just America was turning on its head and it happened. I watched it happen in real time. And I was like, wow, this is really affecting people. And so then I was like, I think the only way I could have anything to say about it would be to go on the show and just tell the story of the one of the millions of times where I thought cops were going to murder me you know, getting pulled over and them having their guns drawn or like stopping me on the street and stuff. So then I told that one story and then on that Monday, and then I was like, this is one of a billion stories I have. And you don't know a black person who doesn't have a story like this. Mm -hmm. And then I opened up the show every day that week with one of those stories. And that that is how it came about. I just, I didn't think it would open the show though. Mm. What was bothering me so bad is that people were like, this is special or his behavior is special or these are special police officers and this is a special happening. And I, that really bothered me. So I was like, there's nothing special about this at all. From where I'm standing, this is regular, regular, everyday stuff. Mm. So I just wanted to make that very, very clear. And I'm so lucky that they let me do that because a lot of those other shows would never have let anybody say anything like that. Right. So, you know, I'm a lucky little bug. <laughs> um, I was in Minneapolis for just less than 24 hours and the city felt totally different, but how it kept getting brought up to me is that these changes have happened because of what happened to George Floyd in terms of the architecture of the city, the, the area areas of the city, where people go, where people don't go, what, you know, police presence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that you say you wanted to make it clear. This is not a unique occurrence. Well, mm -hmm. I don't know. It really affected people who live in Minneapolis really hard. My sister is a pastor at a church that's a few blocks away from where George Floyd was murdered. And it, I mean, she was like, the, it changed everything. And then her job became like taking care of the community in a brand new way. And I was like, well, thank goodness you were there. Right. Yeah. Um, 20, 
20 something else happens the amber ruffin show starts uh on the peacock because i watched a bunch <laughs> there's there's it's really <laughs> great stuff uh in it um you started it uh in 2020 which is significant of course because of another <laughs> global event that happened uh how was that finally getting your own show with your name on it a pandemic comes and now you're producing this in the middle of a pandemic how how was that for you it was super duper fun it was great it was great that it was on peacock it was great that there was no audience i was like what a great little like it was a real show and it was a big fancy thing but it was also just like us right. you know so it felt so good it was the perfect way to do things like i got to get all the way to the end of my weirdness and back without being because the audience will tell you exactly what you want and then you're just a laser you can hit the laugh instantly because the audience has trained you to right but then without that you're just like having a beautiful time and doing <laughs> right. the things you feel like doing and i think it's pretty clear that was what we were after yeah well partly that's what i was talking about earlier about the time the timing and the rhythm of your stories and at times jokes is so different and it's fascinating because it is because there's no audience it ha it would necessarily change particularly for you as a, as an improver because you're trained to figure out exactly what you just said where that laugh is and 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 how you get to it but that's that's awesome that you found it liberating and fun as opposed to terrifying and horrible yeah i also was like look the most any black lady has ever had a late night show is two minutes. So I'm not going to have a bad two minutes. <laughs> I guarantee you, I'm going to be having a blast. We really did. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Are we going to get more? Um, we, we are now going to do specials okay. of the Amber Ruffin show every once in a while. When you feel it. When we feel it, when the spirit moves us. Okay. Fair. That was the answer I saw. I just wanted to hear from you. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad about that. Three seasons thus far, nominated for WGA awards and Emmys. And again, if you haven't checked it out, <laughs> you absolutely should. Um, speaking of the WGA, how long is this going to last? Five more years. Okay. I mean, no, but... It's going to be a long time. That's that's what I think, too. I mean, I, what I said was 2008 was 100 days. I think that's very short compared to where we're at right now. You think so? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. But I do think that we will not be back to work in this season. Like, I don't think we'll come back in the summer at all. I think the fall is a possibility, but that's more than a hundred days then, by the way, that's right. That's right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Cause you acted surprised. 
when I said that was short. Well, I've never been able to count. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just surprised you could count. Oh, I, I know. I know. <laughs> um, I have to mention a couple of books that you've written with your sister. You'll never believe what happened to Lacey, crazy stories about racism, and the world record book of racist stories. No one asked you to write. Now you're writing everything, including books. Why your sister? And um, talk to me a little bit about about these books. Because these people asked me to write a book, and I did not want to. <laughs> and I told them no. I really did. And it, it still doesn't appeal to me. And I done did it twice. But it, when I got there, what's the like, third Dude. one? So what's the third one? <laughs> oh, well, we'll see. We'll oh, see. okay. Who knows what the third one is? All right. Um, but when I got there, my agents were like, go see the book guy. You got to write a book. He's like, I've got to do nothing. Right. Let me go talk to this guy. Go talk to him. He's so much fun. And then he was like, if you had to write a book, I was like, I don't have to. And I'm not going to. And he goes, well, if you had to. I go, you know, it would be a funny book. When I was in the cab on the way there, my sister had texted me this, this picture of her because she crazy racist things keep happening to my sister, Lacey. It's just a part of life. And they're always hilarious. Like, yes, there's also bad racist stuff. But the number of racist things that happen to my sister that are knee slappingly hilarious is in the billions. So I was like, if we sat down and just wrote out each of these stories. It would be hilarious. And we would write it like us talking. So we did. And it was great. But it just so happened that she texted me one of these stories while I was in the cab on the way to the book guy. Otherwise, I don't know that I would have thought of such a thing. Yeah. Well, that's how great things happen. Yay. So now we got a New York Times bestseller. Who would have thought? Uh, congratulations. Don't Thanks. just... I have one too. All right. So that's, Yay! that's what you have to do. That's what you have. That's what you have to do. You have to write a book. When the book person says you got to write a book, then you got to write a book. You got to write a book. That's right. You're continuing to work with your sister, the Amber and Lacey, Lacey and Amber show, which I assume is because you couldn't agree whose name went first. Why, why your sister? First off, like you love working with her. Yeah. I love her because she's bad, but one thing for the book that translates well into podcasts is we rag on each other constantly. Yes. <laughs> and then when you invite a third person to be a part of it, it's so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> they feel so squished <laughs> and they're forced to choose sides <laughs> and it makes us so happy. Uh, what about your, your, are your other three siblings upset that, that, that Lacey got tapped or are they happy to be out of the, the line of fire? They're happy to okay. be out. They have had it with us. They have had it. <laughs> Some like it hot. You're now a Broadway writer. You're now a playwright, an official playwright. Uh, hey. And you're also involved in a new production of the Wiz. Yes, dude. When is, when is, what is that coming? The Wiz is coming to Broadway in 2024 okay and that's next year by the way what so how many years is that two no next year i'm oh, bad at numbers okay. all right um so <laughs> the whiz 
is so fun. And like, we're not even, it's not even all the way finished. We don't have everyone. We don't have all the sets and stuff. And it's already so good. It is so good. It's so great. But I, you know, I can't even brag because the whiz is pizza. It's like, if you go to a freaking eighth grade showing of the whiz, guess what? Those songs still sound good. It don't matter who's singing them. It doesn't matter what happened. The Wiz is your favorite because those songs are untouchable. And true to form, our version of The Wiz is exceptional. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I love it. And you're returning now. You're returning now to where you started. Mm -hmm. You started playing music in the church. (laughs) <laughs> and you said your entree into the improv world was your ability to improv songs. And now you're turning it around. Is this a dream for you? Or is this, did a play person say you need to do this like the book? Or was this something you actively sought? I just thought if I could write, co-write the musical, some like it hot, then they would let me do whatever show I wanted to on Broadway. But then the whiz came along and I was like, oh, that's what I want. <laughs> so I don't know if there'll be a lot of Broadway after this. Cause I was like, that's a, like a, to- a the most Tony nominated musical. Some like it hot this year. Yes. And then the, the musical you love the most. Like, I, I, I think I'm going to have to tap out after this. We did it. We did it. <laughs> well, you, you have done it and you are doing it. I congratulate you. I find you so funny and again, surprising, which is my favorite kind of funny. And, uh, and the fact that you've stayed there on late show as well. I I just, I love it. I love your story. So thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. I love you so bad. And I always will. (laughs) Thank you, Amber. Thanks, Brad. Yay. Amber, Amber, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I have been a fan of your work for a long, long time. And today, yes, you even exceeded my expectations. Thank you. Listeners, be sure to tune into Amber's podcast, The Amber and Lacey, Lacey and Amber Show. It is awesome. Like her and speaking of podcasts, come back to Off the Beat this time next week for another guest will be here with me. We'll see you soon. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton.
If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.